In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I love trivia. There's just something about acquiring decades of useless knowledge to be able to pull out exactly the right answer to a question at exactly the right time. In our house, we just bought our own set of the Trivial Pursuit game. You know the one I'm talking about, the iconic blue box. Those little circular pieces you move around the board collecting those different colored pie pieces. I love it. There's just something really satisfying about answering a question correctly, especially if no one else knows the answer. I wonder if that's how Jesus felt sometimes. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? Thus begins the last of Jesus's interrogations by the religious authorities in Matthew's Holy Week narrative. But Jesus's response was both typical and not typical. He begins in a pretty predictable way. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. Here, Jesus is quoting the Shema from Deuteronomy 6. Here, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And Jesus goes on to say that there's a second commandment, to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Here, Jesus is paraphrasing Leviticus 19, which we heard read. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And Jesus then tells the Pharisees that all of the law and the prophets, the two major bodies of texts which make up the Hebrew scriptures, are all dependent on just these two commandments. Jesus's juxtaposition of Leviticus 19 and the Shema is profound, to say the least. And the Pharisees who heard that Leviticus portion in that moment would have known the entire passage, not just the portion Jesus quoted. In the Episcopal Church, in our Rite One liturgy, we say the summary of the law every single Sunday. But I bet most of us fail to realize what precedes love your neighbor as you love yourself, which is, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people. Jesus' own teaching on prayer echoes this. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. In Sister Joan Chittister's book, the Rule of Benedict, a Spirituality for the 21st Century, she offers a daily reading on the rule of St. Benedict and her own commentary on it. Now, Benedict of Nursia lived in the late 5th century in Italy and set down a rule for living in community in the last days of the Roman Empire. And we Anglicans have a close connection with Benedict 
as monastic communities of Benedictines were very influential in pre-Reformation in England. And Benedict was very clear that our spiritual life was to be lived out in community. We were not to go flee to the desert or to go hole up somewhere. We're to live in community and to worship God through communal prayer, through scripture recitation, and through the sacramental life. Now, part of Benedict's rule was the idea that the monastery that you entered would be the monastery in which you died. And to always keep death before you as a solemn reminder of the importance of forgiveness and of reconciliation. Benedict knew that living in community is hard. Disagreements are bound to happen. Other people will annoy you, and you will annoy other people. And Benedict, in his wisdom, knew that if you had a disagreement with another monk or a nun, that our human tendency is just to cut and run, to leave this community or relationship and to find some other one. But with no modern knowledge of family systems or psychology, Benedict knew that if you left one monastery without having resolved your issues with your fellow monks or nuns, invariably you would go to another monastery and, lo and behold, have another disagreement with a monk or nun there, probably over the same issue that drove you from the first one. So when this happens, history just repeats itself. Behavior replicates itself, and there's no reconciliation. There's no opportunity for spiritual growth. It doesn't produce any spiritual depth. It leaves us spiritually stunted and immature. We can act pious and holy all we want, but unless we do the hard work of forgiveness and reconciliation, then our faith is just a sham. As Sister Joan writes, it is so comforting to multiply the practices of the church in our life and so inconvenient to have to meet the responsibilities of the communities in which we live. Living with community and other people is hard. Just recall Leviticus 19. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Neither the author of Leviticus, Jesus, or even Benedict said this would be easy. Simple, perhaps, but not easy. It's easy to say we love our neighbors in the abstract. It's much harder to put that into practice. In fact, Jesus' command to love our enemies is sometimes easier. We tend to push enemies away, keep them out of our lives. It's easier to love in this abstract at arm's length, and much, much harder to love up close where things might get messy. Loving our next door neighbor whose tree leaves constantly blow into our yard and won't do anything about it or members of our congregation who just don't see things our way or just bug us, or community leaders who don't listen to our concerns 
or the priest who just doesn't get it. It's hard, isn't it? But in each case, what makes it hard is the pride of our own petty egos that seek self instead of the good of the other. And letting go of our ego is really the way of the cross. As Episcopalians, we inherit this Anglican Benedictine way of being in community. Being in community means loving God and neighbor, which by extension means letting go of this need for fighting, vengeance, and holding grudges. It's a way of spiritual transformation that calls us into becoming more Christ-like, into becoming spiritual adults. Sister Joan writes, adulthood is not a matter of becoming completely independent of people who lay claim to our lives. Adulthood is a matter of being completely open to the insights that come to us from our superiors and our spouses, our children and our friends, so that we can become more than we can even begin to imagine for ourselves. This is the transforming power of God. And it comes to us through our neighbors who are up close and in our face. But are there neighbors with whom being in relationship is not possible? What about those who threaten or abuse us? What about those who threaten the community? Well, neither Jesus nor Benedict would have condoned that behavior for the sake of loving your neighbor. Loving your neighbor is not the same as indulging your neighbor. There are behaviors people inflict on us as individuals and the community that go beyond annoyances and simple grievances. Abuse, violence, and threats are behaviors that cannot be tolerated for the sake of maintaining some relationship. And while we can reject specific behaviors and call those who threaten and abuse to repentance, they may not respond to that call. That doesn't mean we cannot love them, but we may need to do so from a safe distance unless and until they can do the hard work of amending their own lives and actively seeking reconciliation with us. Life in community is hard work. Holding and bearing grudges prevent us from being the loving people God has shaped us to be. We cannot love God and harbor hatred for the people God loves. We cannot presume that our dislike or even hatred of another person is how God feels about that person. Loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength only comes with the spiritual gift of humility, to love the very people God loves too. And remember, while there are people who you know who seem unlovable, there are people who feel that same way about you. None of us is lovable all the time. And it's into this reality 
that grace enters. When we are at our worst and our most unlovable, God comes to us. That radical, undeserved, unmerited love has the power to move our hearts to love our neighbors, even the ones hardest to love. It's not easy work. Jesus knew that, Benedict knew that, and you know it too. But we undertake it, quite imperfectly to be sure, because in doing so we experience grace, mercy, and healing in action, not in abstraction. Laying down our egos, our long-nurtured grudges and resentments, and seeking the way of love is the very way of the cross through which we will find our fullness of life in Christ. And in doing this, we will begin to know and see ourselves for who we truly are, arrogant and proud, sinners and repenters, beloved and forgiven. Amen.